Blackwater, The Wagner Group, Executive Outcomes, The Flying Tigers, The Swiss Guard, The White Company, The Knights Templar, The Varangian Guard, Clercus of Sparta, Pythagoras the Spartan, Mentor of Rhodes, Socrates of Achaea. The list is endless. Mercenaries, Guns for Hire, Soldiers of Fortune, Private Military Companies, Private Security Contractors, Dirty Deeds, <laughs> Not So Dirt Cheap. History is replete with privatized militaries. Call them what you want. They have been around for a very long time, and they are very likely not going away anytime soon. So you better get used to it, grow up, and accept it, or move to another planet. Because these days, in this world, folks, money trumps everything. And like it or not, wars are good, very good, for business. Furthermore, history tells us that more people are enslaved and killed by such means as greed, corruption, oppression, and tyranny than by any other means. Money, profits, and propaganda. Call it psychological operations or call it psychological conditioning. You are being gaslit. So choose the red pill. Remove your blinders, all of them, and take a good sensory inventory of what you're being told and shown to believe. Because here we go. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Oconus, The Contractor's Life. Talking from the relatively insulated and bucolic rural foothills of northwestern Washington State, I'm your host, Scott Dresser. Life as a private security contractor in a hostile or war-torn zone, or as some call it, an austere or a non-permissive environment. Well, it is a mixed bag of blessings. Some good, some not so good. All in all though, private security contracting is much the same as life. It is what you make it. The MENA region, or the Middle East, North Africa region. Lands of enchantment, lands of mystery, lands of the old ones, and the ancient ones. Myths, legends, folklore. Maybe if you believe what you read in the ancient and the holy texts, then you know that it all centered around what we refer to as the MENA region. That's right, the Mediterranean. And you probably also know that to every legend or myth there is a base of at least some truth. All right, folks, so with that said, um, I would like to kind of put a wrap on the discussions about what I was engaged in and things we did there in this sector here in the JBAD region of Afghanistan. Uh, there's still plenty I could talk about and will, um, but my mind is kind of um, in a state of flux with that, with that sector right now. Uh, so like I've done with a plenty of other sectors where I've worked, um, I will come back to them, I will talk about them, 
and we'll go and, and talk about these things in as detailed as I can get it, um, as I recollect, um, and try not to make it a big jumbled mesh. But for right now, uh, I would like to jump off the J-Bad wagon and uh, fast forward to me being home and getting on with another company where I went back to Iraq. And uh, that company at the time was uh, Torres. And so they were Torres. Uh, the actual division within Torres was the AES division or Advanced Enterprise Services. I think I mentioned that before. Um, so, you know, there I was, I was at home and, you know, I was doing stuff here at home and I was uh, applying with companies overseas and they called me back. One thing led to another. I talked with one of the, uh, I don't think it was that, you know, it's a family, it's a family company um, and a, many to maybe all of the family members are involved in that business at some level. But one of them, I don't remember his name, contacted me and he was some high ranking manager. And I mean, it's kind of funny because it started out not very good because and the reason I say that is during that interview and the phone call, it didn't last that long. Uh, but primarily, he just wanted to make sure that I was going to stay with them for at least a year. He wanted a one year commitment. Well, that didn't sit well with me. Um, uh, some of you who may know me, I just, I don't like to be pigeonholed like that. I, you know, uh, I don't have a problem making commitments as long as I feel good about the person or the entity or the thing that I'm engaging in. But once, anyway, so, and I, and I knew that there were things on the horizon that I was looking at and that I was considering and that if it materialized, I was probably going to jump on it and go do it. But in the meantime, I wanted to get back overseas. I'd been home long enough. I wanted to get back overseas. I hadn't been home that long. But um, anyway, long story short, I accepted the offer. Uh, so I flew over back to Baghdad, uh, this time with Torres AES. And I signed on as uh, a supervisor. Now, they called it a shift supervisor. And uh, what's the difference between a shift supervisor and a supervisor? I don't know. I mean, a supervisor, shift supervisor, you're in charge of a shift. I don't know. Anyway, but that's what I was. Uh, so I, I'm there on the ground in the Baghdad region. And for those who are familiar with it, um, it's a, it was a FOB or a base or a large camp, whatever you want to call it, there by where... That tall building that used to be the old U.S. Embassy, okay? Um, now they've got, you know, the Iraqi police training camps there. And, and I believe uh, the, the, the base or the FOB that was there, I mean, it's out there. It's in the open. It, it's, it's not like it's any secret thing. Uh, so, I mean, you can look it up, but um, there it is. And I've posted pictures online. So, you know, not any telling or revealing pictures but there are pictures out there so you you, you kind of you, you'll see the name of this fob and uh, you'll figure it out but there i was shift supervisor um and as i recall i was over there in the spring i go to early spring and uh was there until i want to say it was october but i might have left in the month of September because I wanted a couple weeks transition to get ready 
before I went on to the, the other project, which miffed them to no end. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> they couldn't have been more curt about the whole thing. Uh, but I had done a really spectacular job there by all accounts um, and made a pretty good name for myself. And I could have stayed there uh, and gotten on the new project uh, that was eventually taken over by another company. Kind of knew they would. Uh, but anyway, there I was, Baghdad, Iraq, back there again, this time with Torres. Um, and it was a pretty good thing. And, you know, for the most part, it was a static thing. Did I get off the base and, and go places? Yeah, I did. Um, and do and do other stuff than my, you know, designated shift supervisor. Yes. But that was my primary duty there, was being a shift supervisor, primarily at one of the ECPs, the primary ECP, which was ECP-1. So for anybody that doesn't understand or know, ECP is Entry Control Point. Okay. It can also be exit control points because, you know, we had ECPs for both entry and exit. Primarily entry, but in, in, in many, arguably most ECPs, there's both an entry and an exit portion to that. They're usually one of the same. It's kind of like a freeway. It's divided. You got, uh, you know, a T-wall or barriers or a median or something in between the lanes, usually. Not always, but usually. Um so there I was, and it was in charge of that, and there were supervisors for, we had, I think, two other ECPs, and I worked one of the other ECPs, and there was another one where they asked me to fill in or if I wanted to do it. Long story short, um, after talking with the supervisor there and seeing the little shit show that he had developed over there, I was like, no, I don't want to be a part of that. Thank you very much. I'll stay here. Um, I like where I'm at. Um, I had a decent office, and uh, there was a lot. I just enjoyed and liked being around everybody that came and went through that. Because being that primary ECP, most of the traffic came and went through that area. So I got to see and hear a lot and partake in a lot. And it was far more challenging. And I like a challenge, okay? And I've accepted some challenges to the point that it's like, woo, I think I bit off more than I can chew. But you learn to overcome and adapt. And, and so I, I adapted and I figured it out and I overcame and, and did just fine. So, um, <laughs> but that, that job w was an interesting job. And um, so uh, on a daily basis, basically I was in charge, uh, not unlike most of the other supervisors, because we also had a supervisor for the QRF force uh, because we were uh, basically supervising the guard force. And at that time, the guard force was comprised of Africans. And we Americans were the supervisors and managers for these projects uh, there. Uh, so there was one for the QRF force. There was and then the, the three ECPs that we had. One of those two ECPs was primarily, if not exclusively, uh, for, you know, deliveries and logistics and that sort of thing. Um, the other ECPs were for pretty much everyone else that came and went uh, through there. And we had, you know, it was, you know, kind of the standard setup where we had the T-walls acting as a standoff perimeter around the place with towers interspersed around it 
And as I recollect, there were a couple or a few towers internally because uh, it was just large enough that you kind of wanted somebody there. It had a helipad um, and frequently saw the medivacs come and go um, in and out there and, and other transport type helicopters, usually the sa one of the same. They were always, you know, um, Blackhawk type um, helicopters, the, the UH, I forget the exact uh, nomenclature for them. But um, so there was, you know, springtime, you know, and, you know, just a month or two before it started to really warm up. Um, and I was issued, uh, actually, and I still have it. It's a very nice jacket uh, with the Torres AES, AES logo on it, on uh, the breast side. Um, and uh, it was, you know, it was crisp enough in the mornings uh, that I kept that jacket on for the most part up to about noon, I think. There were a few times where I could wear it the whole day. Uh, as I've said before, oddly enough, folks, in the deserts, and it's probably not an uncommon thing in most deserts, uh, I don't think all deserts are the same because there are some that, that just don't really get that cold, but it could and did freeze there in the deserts, depending on where you were in those environments and the time of year, because uh, there were portions of it where it, it never really did, but you did have freezing conditions. Um, so you go from freezing conditions to, well, for lack of a better term, melting conditions in the summertime, right? Uh, so that's, uh, so I spent, uh, the better part of nine months there, uh, close to 10 months there with those guys before I, you know, said, Hey, I got to go and move on to this next project. Uh, but the, uh, the amount, this was my I guess it was actually my second, actually my third taste. Um, actually my fourth. I think they all kind of were the same. Where you had kind of like a mixing, melting pot of everybody and everything from pretty much everywhere coming and going. Um, and at that time, uh, and so this is uh, 2010 slash 2011, I guess. And... Uh, you know, so DOD was slowly, slowly transitioning out of Iraq. DOS, their Department of State, was starting to take over uh, those portions of the FOBs and bases that DOD or Department of Defense had. Obviously, a great many of those bases and FOBs and, and outposts um, were not taken over by the Department of State. Uh, they were either continued to man or were taken over by other agencies um, or just, you know, left to whoever got it. Uh, but this one, um, by the time I left, and, and we'd been hearing for months that this might happen, uh, but at one point it became kind of obvious with the traffic that was coming and going, the Department of State was indeed uh, going to occupy that and there was going to be a new contract. It was part of the WPS program. Uh, so it was on the heels of the what we call or called, and some of you have probably heard this, because uh, they called it the same thing, WIPS, whether it was WPPS or WPS, you still they still say it the same way, WIPS. Um, some people would say whoops. but um, So it went from WPPS to, at that time, 
It was going to be WPPS3, but they decided to just call it WPS. Uh, they were changing things, I guess, partly for posture and uh, footprint and, you know, politics, I guess, if, for lack of a better term, as well. Uh, since the Department of Defense was not going to have the footprint and the presence that they had, uh, I think, you know, going from worldwide personal protective services to just worldwide protective services because um, there probably wasn't the, the requirement and the need for that level of security that they had previously. So, so I was in that transition period there in that part of the world when that was happening. I met and got to know a fairly large number of really good people there. Uh, both from the military side um, and arguably the State Department side. Uh, and, of course, you know, the other fellow contractors. And, you know, as I've said before, with, with pretty much every company I've worked for, um, I came across and met and worked with, and you could tell as you're passing and, and interacting with other people, there's an awful lot of really good people out there. Um, took their job seriously, they knew what they were doing, and uh, were always looking for ways to improve and make things better. Obviously, as again I've said before, with every project, every contract I've been on, whether it's in the States or overseas, uh, small, large project, whatever, um, we had our share of shitheads and booger eaters that shouldn't have been there. Um, how they got through is anybody's guess. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, and and probably most of us know the reasons why some of the people got there that didn't belong there or shouldn't have been there. Here nor there, um, you know, and I've I've talked previously in other episodes about some of the uh, going ons there and some of the things that I did and tried and and one thing or another, um, and I think. If I'm not mistaken, that was also uh, that summer while I was there, uh, there were a lot of protests. And some of them we thought were going to make them to our gates, but they didn't because there was a primary entry point um, on the outskirts of this facility, but there were also alternate ways of getting in. Now they were quote-unquote blockaded or barricaded or, uh, you know, people knew that you weren't really supposed to be going down those roads. But there were, there were times, plenty of times actually, when I could get up in the tower because usually you had to go up in the tower unless you were going to walk all the way down the ECP and kind of do that little serpentine turn, uh, which they kind of frowned upon. They really didn't want anybody leaving the base if they didn't have a, a need or requirement to leave the base. Um but you could see, not clearly, I could see, but not clearly, uh, with, the un- with the unaided eye, without using binoculars, looking down that road, um, what looked like a crowd of people that wanted to keep coming down that road. They wanted to push the issue. Uh, never saw it for sure, but we kept hearing that, yeah, the Iraqi police and other entities were out there, and for however they went about it, they were able to successfully quell the mob or the crowd that was out there that was always in the thousands now how many thousands i don't know uh, and some of this or much of it you know you'd actually hear or read in the news so um that was a fairly frequent thing that summer anyway i don't 
recall it happening in the spring. And I don't, I think it happened a little bit there in the fall before I left as well. Uh, but the other thing that I seem to recollect and others that were there during that time frame might be able to concur. Uh, but I don't recollect any indirect or direct fire on our facilities while I was there. Now, there were rumors, and I remember hearing people talk about RPGs and this, that, one thing, another. And there might have been some. Uh, maybe I was locked up in my office and I just was uh, blithely unaware of it. I don't know. Maybe it happened when I was sleeping and it was and it was kind of like a nothing burger and nobody made a big deal about it. I don't know. Uh, the only... The only actual physical incident that I recall was was actually a pretty decent one. And I think I've hearkened upon this before. Um, and it was in the summer. Now, when exactly? I don't remember if it was July or August. Um, but there was a big boom on the other side, a very tall T-wall barrier that we had between us and that emb- the old embassy and the new Iraqi police training facility that they were building because on one side was the old facility and on the other side was the new facility and they also had for lack of a better term they had a a jail out there that housed um, let's just say violent people okay people that they didn't want running around on the streets anymore Um, terrorists okay there you go and it was not an uncommon thing to have uh, a, a convoy for lack of a better term uh, usually three but sometimes it's just two vehicles and once in a great while you'd see just one uh, drive around kind of a, uh, some weird uh, driving route that they had you know to get to that facility that was on the other side of the t-wall and I'm like why don't you guys just walk around I mean it's like right there you'd be there like in two or three minutes Instead of taking 20 or 30 to get there by driving. But, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, just another long, hot summer day. Doing my thing. I'm in my office. And as I recall, I was I was rewriting or supplementing SOPs. Uh, I don't remember if it was specific to the ECP. Um, or it might have even been some, uh, some of the... Uh, Uh, instruction and training stuff that I was doing with the guard force there at the time. But I'm there at my desk and felt a raucous vibration, almost like that sudden jolt you get when an earthquake hits. It was that kind of a jolt. Laptop lifted up two or three inches off the desk and moved about two or three inches forward. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Anyway, big boom from the other side of that T wall. Um, You know, Ran out of the office right away, and we could see the, the, the small, narrow, semi-quasi-mushroom cloud rising up with papers, just all sort. I mean, just a lot of papers rising up in the air in that column of hot air that blew it up um, and, you know, slowly settling down. It was like, okay, so we did the muster thing, and rallied the guard troops and and you know everybody's at their post ready because uh, we didn't know at that moment what was going on what had happened and uh you know it's always later once you've talked to everybody once you've reviewed everything that's when you kind of figure everything out um you know from start to finish uh, turns out that um 
it was there were there was an IED, an explosive device planted beneath one of the Connex trailers that was out there, uh, where a an American representative was meeting with whatever representative he was meeting with out there on that other side of the wall, and he had his security detail with them, and the explosion was beneath it and went up through the Connex trailer. And um, as I recollect, nobody was killed. Miraculously, nobody was killed. Um, the worst, the, uh, actually there might have been, as, now that I think about it, maybe his interpreter, I think maybe his interpreter or translator. Uh, it seems to me that somebody did die, um, but it wasn't him. Even though, he, apparently, from the way he was positioned inside, he should have been. Long story short, they come out. We knew they were coming. We knew they'd be coming back. Um, so, without going into long, drawn detail, I expedited their their ingress coming back in. Um, and saw, <laughs> I think I've said this before, it was almost surreal because they were stopped at one of the gates and it's like, yes, I'm motioning frantically. Yes, raise the gate. Let them in. We know who they are. <laughs> what are you doing? Let them go. Um, so the guy in the gunner well, if you will, in, this, in the uh, suburban reaches up over in front of him uh, just, just back of the front of the top of the vehicle where it meets the windshield and because I saw this object, it's like, what the heck is that? Well, he reaches over, grabs it, picks it up, and I go, oh, that's somebody's arm. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, I'm not laughing at what happened to the guy. or But, I mean, it was like, in hindsight, it's like, wow. But, yeah, so the, the dude that was in the trailer, his arm had gotten blown off and went through the trailer and somehow miraculously landed on the vehicle as they drove back. They had it. Um, apparently, his ankles were damaged. Um, he had some uh, issues with his hands and, and whatnot, and other issues, his eyes, one thing or another. He survived. As I recollect, the, the, his arm was, they were able to reattach his arm. He got 60 or 70%, uh, maybe more, uh, uh, use of his arm back. Um, the way that... They were able to save things and, and preserve them. And, uh, you know, so, so the guy got really lucky. And, and, again, I don't remember which agency or department he was with. Um, but, I mean, those are the sorts of things that can and do happen. Um, you know, nobody, you know, it, it, we never like it when it happens to anybody on our team, on our side of the fence anyway. Um, but, fortunately, you know, none of us got hurt. Fortunately... He survived, he lived, and all of his appendages, as I understand, were reattached. And for the most part, he regained the use of, of all of them. Um, whether he lost eyesight or not in one eye or the other, I don't, again, I don't recollect uh, that part of it. So in terms of events, um, you know, because I hear this a lot, you know, through various means, but, you know, as I've said before, um, were private security contractors caught up in stuff? Uh, yeah, we were. Um, and 
you know, it, it seems like because we were a small percentage, it seems like it happens a lot. But most of it, or certainly a lot of it, happened around us. Or we would sometimes, through happenstance, just kind of get involved or caught up in it. But for the most part, and like I've said, private security contractors, at least they're in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, on most of those projects and, and contracts, we were not on an offensive mission. We were on a defensive mission. And that's not to say that there aren't and aren't still projects and contracts at, at high, high levels where they aren't on a quasi-offensive or even an offensive mission. But primarily, usually, it's the military going out and doing that. And they've got guys that are privately contracted through this agency or that department that are embedded with them or part or working in conjunction with them, uh, usually in an intelligence basis. But, uh, but that was, again, my recollection was that was the worst of the events that occurred there in terms of explosives or firearms and one thing and another. There were plenty of other moments of somewhere between scratching my head rolling my eyes and just laughing my arse off because it was it's like what an imbecile really who told you that where how in the world could you actually believe what you're telling me uh but you know people believe what they believe so with that said and uh in the next in in episode and and for however many episodes beyond that um, i'm going to try to focus as much i can on my time with Torres there in Baghdad, Iraq, and and uh, try to, as best I can, starting from the beginning to the end, you know, kind of so- slowly sort and sift through all that uh, without getting too long in the draw because a lot of it, like so much of these contracts, it was, at some point, it was wash, rinse, repeat. Uh, now, there were variations and there were sometimes tense moments and one thing or another, but uh, you know, what a lot of people don't understand, just like here in the United States, a lot of it is just wash, rinse, repeat. Uh, so, so many people, whether it's O'Connor's or Conus, have a tendency to aggrandize, to overstate, to uh, selfish stories, if you will. Make it larger, better, and greater, and grander than it really was. Again, not to say that there weren't, um, and still aren't, tense moments and some might even call frightful or scary moments but a lot of it we just for lack of a better term we just kind of got used to it just it was part of the day part of the drill you know that's what we signed up for no big deal incoming whatever (laughs) you know just keep doing your job uh, no matter how close it is, um, you know, because there's really, as I've said before, there's really not a whole lot you can do about it. If, if, it's, your, if it's your day, if it's your time, if it's your moment, if, that's, if it's got your name on it, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, again, no death wish. Um, you know, I mean, there probably are some people that do have them. But uh, anyway, so with that said, folks, uh, kind of put a wrap on this episode of Oconus the Contractor's Life. And with that said, I want to thank you and everyone for taking time out of your day, your afternoon, or your evening to listen to me talk about private security contracting overseas. 
as well as occasionally some of my experiences as a private security contractor here in the States. So uh, thanks to my wife, for whom I owe immeasurable gratitude. Uh, thank you to my family, my friends, and all the people, male and female, who have been and still are a part of my life. And remember, folks, it takes a team. The grass is not always greener on the other side. Be careful what you wish for, because you might just get it. Stay safe, stay humble, and keep others safe by staying frosty. And until next time, keep it real. Oconus the Contractor's Life extends a special thank you to music composer Kava Cohen and to Colin Perry of Ninja Tracks for allowing Oconus the Contractor's Life the use of Kava's song, Heavy Clutch, from the music soundtrack to the game Forza Motorsport 7. And also, a big thank you to Andres Rodriguez, who can be found at the Fiverr website for his excellent original music scores.